0: Hello and thank you for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church Maryville here in Maryville, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can visit our website to find out more information about our church or to find our full audio archive with all of our messages. So you can find all of that at www.vineyardchurch.us or you can also subscribe on Apple and Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message.
1: All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. and Welcome to the Vineyard. We're so glad you are here. I'm Sharon. I'm one of the pastors, and I just want to wish all of our dads a very happy Father's Day. We love our dads. Let's give it up for our dads. In celebration of you, we provided donuts for you and everyone who you brought with you. Um, so, a donuts for everyone because we love our dads. So, uh, I think they'll still be out. Um, please eat Donuts take all I don't know how many's left um I think all of my favorites Dunkin Donuts is losing this donut battle it's like what is it? Richie Cream, Dunkin' Donuts, and Donut Palace, and Dunkin' is losing, so I'm losing. That was, that's my favorite. So anyways, take a lot of donuts. We're so happy to celebrate you. Take some to your family if there's a lot left, because this is the last service, so take them with you. That'd be great. Um, okay, I just want to call up the Weaver family. Uh, this is Zach Weaver and his whole family. Let's give it up for them. Yay! Zach is our new kids pastor slash associate youth pastor. He gets a couple roles, I know. Um, and listen, Zach's been on staff for two weeks. One of those weeks, he went to youth camp with us. So, wow. Yeah, he just we just threw him in the deep end. And uh, guess what? He did amazing. He did absolutely incredible. So we're super excited. Um, so we just want to pray for the Weaver family. Uh, this is William. This is Jillian. This is Amy. And this is Madison. And- And we're just so happy to have them with us. And so they'll be around. They'll be out in the lobby if you want to say, hey, Um, they're working out housing details still and trying to sell a house in Atlanta and buy one here and all that. So be praying for them. Um, But yeah, they're excited to meet you, excited to be in a new church. They came from a church um, in Atlanta, another vineyard church in Atlanta. Um, So that's exciting. They're not new to vineyard. Um, But yeah, if you will pray um, with me for them, that would be awesome. So if you want to extend an arm, if you feel comfortable, let's pray over the Weaver family. Jesus, we thank you so much for the Weavers. We thank you for bringing them here. We've been praying for them for years, not knowing who they were. but I just believe that you've been preparing them for this assignment, and we're so grateful that you brought all five of them, God, and I pray that all five of them would just find new community friendships, that they would thrive in this town and in this church, that they would be so fruitful, Lord, um, in everything that they do, and that they would feel loved, and that they would um, just really yeah, just really thrive here. Um, Lord, thank you for sending them. Please, please have all of the details of their lives come together and help them to feel really loved and welcomed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Weavers. We'll see you around. You're so cool and um, listen, I just want to thank you personally um, for praying for our students at youth camp. We brought over seventy kids and I'm not kidding uh, we just saw the Holy Spirit come every single day and night at camp and so listen, this is my plea to you if you have kids and you did not send them like next year send these send your students the power of God uh, changed lives at camp um, like Almost everyone. So, so I just want you to know that. And from the bottom of my heart, thank you for praying. Um, we love you so much. We love our students here at Vineyard. So thank you. All right. All right.
0: Great. Am I on? Yeah. Okay, cool. I can't, I was behind the speakers too far. Hi. <laughs> that was awkward. Did you hate it when you don't get started just right and it's weird? Uh, welcome to the Vineyard. As my wife said, happy Father's Day. I'm really glad that you're here. Usually on Mother's Day, I try to come up with a stirring speech. On Father's Day, it feels like the kindest thing we could do is give you donuts and just get on with it. So that's what we're <laughs> going to do. Is that okay? Is that okay, everybody? Hey, to those who are online, we love you guys. Glad you're worshiping with us. Glad you guys are here with us. I will tell you one story, however, about Father's Day this morning. Uh, as, right when we were about to leave uh, for church this morning, uh, I heard my wife well, that was Sharon, by the way. It's my wife who was just up here. Uh, a blood-curdling scream, and uh, she goes, "Aaron!" And it was this one of like, you know, how you learn the sounds, you learn the screams, and this was a one of our kids is in a pool of blood type of scream. Like that was the type of scream, and like my heart dropped, and I was standing next to Bree, and Bree looked at me, and we both had this panic look in her face, and then she goes, "I forgot to tell you, Happy Father's Day! Happy Father's Day!" <laughs> I was like, it's the worst Happy Father's Day I will ever get in my whole life. Like, I'm still not okay. Like, I'm still trying to bring it down. My mind was racing with all these horrible scenarios, and it turns out, she just forgot, and she made it about her. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, just kidding. I hope that you're, if you're a father, I hope you are more honored than I was this morning. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. It's all good. And we say a prayer, and then we're gonna jump right in. Jesus, we love you so much. Thank you that we get to be with our church family in this place together. It's good. It's good. It's good to be in your presence. It's good to be with one another, um, with the saints. And Lord, we acknowledge this is a special gathering. We're here uh, with you. We've Um, set aside time to hear from you. And so, God, I just ask that we would hear and we would receive and we would respond to whatever it is you're saying or doing in this place, in our hearts as individuals, God. We just don't want to miss what you have for us. And so, Lord, I ask that you put power on this message. I just ask that everything I say that's true, would just resonate deeply in our hearts. We take it with us. If I say anything that's not true, I just ask to, by your grace, God, it would just fall to the wayside, Lord, and that we hold on to what is good and right and true. So Lord, we ask that your kingdom come and your will be done in this room, even as it is in heaven. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, we're gonna jump right in. Last week we started the series called Uprising. And um, if you were not here last week, I want you to know that sermon is really kind of fundamental for us. It kind of laid the foundation for this entire series and so if you didn't get it or you haven't heard the podcast yet i would encourage you go to vineyardchurch.us, get the podcast uh podcast players etc you know how to get those um so get a podcast search our church's name you'll find it um because you want to you want to make sure we're standing on the same foundation because i'm about to do a really bad recap that doesn't at all do the trick but just in case you're not totally lost Let's do a quick recap from last week. We've got a slide to show you may remember, if you were here, you should remember this graphic, and we looked at um, what tends to happen in a society once Christianity emerges in that place. There's often a, a great wave of God's Spirit, and when that happens, lots of people come to know and find life in Jesus. It is really remarkable. It is, in, People are carried on by the waves of the Holy Spirit, and people find Him, and it's beautiful, and it often will permeate a society because Um, The love and the mercy and the grace of God is just irresistible. And people evangelize, they share, and then a society becomes like a Christian society. So that's this wave of Christianity that sort of peaks at that blue X. And then what happens um, in the wake of Christianity becoming a dominant religion in a place is that culture around that starts to shift. And it becomes increasingly a Christian society, a Christian culture, and that cultural phenomenon is called Christendom. Christendom is the culture that emerges in a place where most of the people in that place um, ascribe to a Christian worldview. Now they may or may not actually be Christians, but what happens in a Christendom society is more and more people kind of have their understanding of religion and of faith and of God starts to get shaped just by the people who are around them. And so that's a, that's a good thing. Christendom emerges. Um, and so uh, the next thing, the wave that follows that, is that things go well in that society. All right. So these things take time. It's not These are cultural phenomena that take over the course of time, and none none of this is close to any kind of a scale. I'm just trying to illustrate what happens, but in time, Christendom emerges, and then over time, once Christendom has been um, in a place, that place starts to really thrive. their societal health, and it's really simple why. If you're in a place, and a lot of people are following Jesus, and even for those who aren't following Jesus the values of that society start to infiltrate even the ones who aren't Christ followers, then you end up with a society that's sort of going the way of the Lord to some extent in a Christian society. And the fact is, as we said last week, if nothing else, and it's way more than this, but if nothing else, the way of Jesus is just good advice. It works in the world. Things go well for those who go the way of Jesus. So we have a society where we love one another, where we're, where we're honest, where we have legitimate business dealings, where we value human life, things like that. Things go well, and so throughout Christian history, when Christendom has been established in a place, then there's been remarkable advancements in that society. Um, In arts and sciences, all throughout culture, um, suffering goes down, extreme poverty goes down, overall well-being goes up, there's societal health in a place. So those are the positive sides of a wave. You shift down to a negative side of a wave, and this happens and has happened in places as well, where Christianity emerges and it peaks, and then Christianity moves into decline. And this has happened at points along the way. Um, And when Christianity declines, again, it takes time. But eventually, when Christianity is in decline, then Christendom, in the same way, will follow. These are leading and lagging indicators, if you know that language. uh, Christendom, the culture around Christianity, eventually it will decline. And then eventually, the societal growth that you experience in a place, eventually that will decline as well, as the people increasingly are moving away from the heart of God. What we said last week, and this is just sort of, you can take it or leave it, and people could, I I said this dotted line is kind of where I think maybe we might be in our society, and you might move that line to the left or to the right. I mean, this is just sort of, you can take it or leave it, my, my take. But I think we're in a spot where we are starting to experience some decline in our society. I think the cracks are beginning to show. And some folks might say, oh no, the things already fallen to pieces or no, everything's just fine. I mean, I understand that. But to my eyes, I think we are beginning to see the decline in our society. And when we start to see that decline, that's when alarms start going off for folks and they go, okay, we need to do something about it. We've got to take America back for God. We've got to turn back to God as a nation. And when I point out is very important, this is what I really hope you'll get last week's podcast if you miss it. What the church and what Christian leaders and influencers have done historically in the United States is instead of going back to Jesus when they experienced the downturn in society, there has been a desperate attempt to prop up and maintain Christendom, the culture around Christianity. Okay? And Christendom, as we said last week, is not the point. Christendom comes with, when, when, you're, when your religious worldview is the dominant one in the society, you, that comes with a lot of influence and a lot of societal power, and people don't want to let go of that influence and that power. Those institutions, those cultural institutions are really established, and so... We've had a number of movements in the United States where we've said, we need to take America back for God, but usually what that really means is we need to maintain the crumbling societal institutions and the power and influence that comes to Christians along the way. In other words, we've missed the point. We fought for a crumbling institution instead of doing what we should have done, which is turn back to the Lord and chase Jesus with all that we have. Because, as we see, When you get to a lower point, which if we're here, we're starting to see the downturn of societal growth, that means that Christianity itself has been in decline for a long time, and in the United States it has. But what that means is the positive of this is we are now in a position where we can see a new uprising of the Holy Spirit, a new emergence of God's power and of Christianity in this place so we're positioned well to see God do another great thing and we need to be mindful of that. How do we shift our mindset around that? That's really what we're talking about today. I said last week um, that we are going to work through the book of Haggai um, and I think, and if you have your Bibles, you can follow. You might want to start now because uh, it's really hard to find. It's very short, and it's at the end of the Old Testament where they all get they all get squished together. It's like it's like the states in the Northeast. It's like uh, which one's which? I don't I don't know. Um, so I'll give you a heads up, or just use a device, or just follow on the Sky Bible behind me, whatever works. But we're gonna get there. Um, but what's happening in the book of Haggai, I think parallels to some extent, to a very real way where we're at now. Okay. And so I think we can learn a lot uh, from what's going on there. So to, with a little bit of context. The book of Haggai was written uh, about 520 B.C. or about five centuries before Jesus or about 2,500 plus years ago. so a long time ago. And for hundreds of years before that, the prophets in the nation of Israel had been warning um, uh, God's people, hey, we're going in the wrong way. We need to turn back to God or we're going to be conquered by the Babylonians and taken into exile. They were warned for centuries But uh, the Israelites did not respond to those warnings, and they were able to sort of choose a form of willful blindness to say, no, we're we're actually still good. And the reason why they could convince themselves that they were still good is because in the nation of Israel, they still had like this, like a veneer of devotion to God. They had this, uh, they had all the religious operations functioning. They had all the trappings of a nation that served the Lord. But the fact was, the people's devotion and focus they had just moved on from God in a very real way, and so the prophets gave their warnings, and they were basically ignored until finally what ha- they said would happen happened. The Babylonians came, took them into exile, just like the prophets said, and then they stayed there in Babylon as exiles against their will, for seventy years, give or take, and then the Persians conquered the Babylonians so now the Persians are in control, and the Persians had different sensibilities than the Babylonians. So they went to the people of Israel and they said, I know the Babylonians made you guys stay here in Babylon. That's not our style. Go back to Jerusalem. It's your land. Go back. It's fine. Um, which was great, great news. But then this really weird, sad, surprising thing happened. Um, virtually all of them just decided to stay in Babylon. For the most part, they were just like, nah, we're good um we'll just stay we'll just stay put here there's just a tiny remnant of people who actually went back and if you think about it it kind of makes sense i mean they've been there for 70 years generations have passed in this place away from their home and these people who are in babylon say hey you can go back and reestablish your culture and your worship of god and they're like because eh. they didn't they didn't know the ways of god And everything that they had heard about this, you know, Jerusalem and faith in the Lord, that was all at the very best second hand to them. And keep in mind, the ones who had passed this faith on to them, these were the people who were so marginal and so distracted um, and so had God so on the fringe of their lives that God had put them into exile in the first place. And those are the ones that second and third hand passed it on to them. And so what they were dealing with was this like a, like a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. And there wasn't a very stellar or meaningful or compelling image of knowing the Lord left over. And so they said, you can go back and do your religious thing. And they're like, no, we're good. Because in a very real way, physically, emotionally, mentally, intellectually, they had moved on from God. So there's this small remnant of people who decided to go back, about 50,000 people. Now, I actually think there are a lot of parallels, as I said, to them at that point, to where we are today here in the United States. We still have um, the trappings of a Christian nation. We have the veneer of devotion to God. We have plenty of churches. Uh, we have a general awareness of Christianity. It's easy, as it was for them, it's easy for us to convince ourselves, like, yeah, things are things are good, and we're we're, like, we're a pretty devout group of folks. But um, I think, like the Israelites, genuine devotion, genuine discipleship, genuine surrender to the Lord and to His ways has largely, I'm afraid, just collapsed in this society. At least on the broadest scales. There are lots of like remarkable people who are following God with all that they've got. But from the broadest perspective, it's, it's collapsed. And now... In our post-Christian, post-Christendom society, I, there only remains a remnant. And I've no, I honestly have no sense of how many people there, that is. I really don't have a clue, but I think it's just a, a remnant. And as I said last week, I really think that God is specifically calling and commissioning our church to be a part of that remnant for us to collectively decide that we're going to be the bold and the determined ones who have the courage to go against the grain and, and rebuild whatever needs to be, to be set apart from a society that, sadly, has just kind of moved on. So... Because of those parallels, we can learn a lot from the Israelite remnant that went back when they returned home, the good and the bad. So that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. We're going to work through the book of Haggai. Today, we're actually going to do the whole first chapter, but it's only 15 verses. Um, uh, Let's look at verse 1 now. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, the governor of Judah, and and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. I said all the words. I practiced it. Are you impressed? Thank you. Um, so, a little, little bit of context, because that was a lot of words. Uh, we're back in Jerusalem now, just the remnant, and the Lord sends a message to Haggai, Joshua, and Zerubbabel. And those three dudes were the leaders of the remnant that went back. And among them, I could unpack this, but it's interesting, there's a prophet, a priest, and a king. Okay? Those are the three who were leading the remnant. And so... That just said a word to those three from Haggai, from the Lord. Verse 2. The Lord of armies says this. These people say the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. All right, so we'll pause here. Here's what's happening. The remnant comes back to Israel. They come back to establish uh, Jerusalem and the nation once again. Uh, But when they get there, their first move is not to establish Jerusalem worship of the most high or to rebuild the temple um, their first move is to get their own houses set up and things going and sort of fully establish their new lives in this very new to them place that's what they did first and it kind of sounds rational you know you are can okay first things first we're gonna we're gonna set up our deal and then next thing because it's very important we will get right on to you know building the temple and settling up setting up worship in this place so it seems rational, but there's a there's a shift in priorities that needs to happen, and, and this just shows what happens when true faith, true devotion to the Lord, fades into the background, and it fades into the background over the course of generations. This that this idea that Christ would be all in all is kind of it gets faded. It fades back, and so I just want to remind you: this is the remnant, <laughs> like. These were like the conscientious, loyal ones. These are the ones, the conquering heroes who are coming back to reestablish true faith. And still, they're generations removed from seeing genuine faith on display. And so they don't even understand the idea of faith being like genuinely central to our lives. At best, faith is an accessory. It's an add-on. Secondary. The idea of it being absolutely central, that's just a foreign concept. So they decided, okay, first things first, and then God. <laughs> and so God jumps in and goes, oh, well, we need a, it's like a major shift here that needs to happen. And God jumps in and goes, hey, I agree, first things first. But the first things are the things of the Lord. They are the things of the Lord. And actually, all of the things are God things. Like when He is at the absolute center of all of our things, then he permeates every aspect of our lives. These are, This becomes the genuine soul priority. In him we live and move and have our being. Every perfect gift comes from him. He is our all in all. He is the center of our lives. It starts with him. It flows from him and through him. And yet, this mentality, which is clear in scripture, kind of can become lost to us. And again, our faith becomes more of an accessory, okay? Um, but again, these folks coming over from Babylon, they'd just never even seen that kind of devotion. They missed well. They meant well, but they missed the point. Um, and today, guys, I'm just, I'll be honest, I, I don't know how many of us have really seen that kind of devotion. And maybe increasingly even in our society we're seeing a copy of a copy of a copy and we think increasingly as christ as something important but not central not first um what we see is normative even here in the bible belt i'm afraid increasingly looks like god gets the leftovers if there's any leftover and if not well then there wasn't So we need to be mindful of these things, all right? even though they're not necessarily fun to look at. Let's look at a couple more verses, three and four. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house, referring to the temple, lies in ruins? The Lord asks a question of his people. And whenever the Bible asks us a question, we should take a moment to try to answer the question. Okay, is it a time for us to be in our paneling, paneled houses, and I know how much you all love your paneled, paneled homes, and uh, <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> uh, uh, paneling was cool for a minute there, uh, I, that's like, what happened? Uh, but in those days, um, when they refer to paneling, uh, that, those are cedar panels, and they would line their walls and their ceilings with cedar, as cedar. and that's uh, beautiful, um, and very nice, but what was most important about that, perhaps, was that it was a very long time ago. There was no deodorant. There was no indoor plumbing. Lining the rooms in your home with something that naturally smells nice was, like, very important, okay? So this is like, this is like the stainless steel appliances of the ancient world. You know, this is what you needed. Um, and so the Lord asked, should we be super chasing after that when what is actually the main thing is being neglected. So let's take a minute and think about that particular question. I, I told you guys last week um, that I really, I was very tempted and wrestled with the Lord because I wanted to put this series off for a while. <laughs> um, for at least a few months, maybe a year, I don't know. We're going to put this off. Um, and I had, I had two reasons, and neither of them were very good, and I probably shouldn't tell you what they are, but I'm going to. Um, here's, here's the first one um it's just very logical it seemed to me that um talking about the collapse of christendom um when we're about to start a building campaign seems like a bad strategy (laughs) don't you think i asked a couple people and they were like oh yeah that's a horrible idea don't don't do that it's like i know right um but then here we are (laughs) so that's part of it um i no longer feel that way by the way i i think um I actually think this works out beautifully, but um, in time. Um, and then the other thing is, I have this—I have an aversion to preacher types like me. Okay, uh, using the Book of Haggai and using this, these verses in particular, um, and the following verses that we're about to read, um, using them in order to raise money for buildings—I have a real—I have a real problem with that. <laughs> I think it is manipulative. I think it's shame-based. Oh, look at you with your fancy houses while the temple lies in... How dare... You know, it gets real arm-twisty. And I also think it's completely dishonoring of the text. That's not what this is about. Guys, Haggai's not about that, okay? And so, whenever pastors do that, I think it's really lame. And I don't want you to think that I'm lame. I want you to think that I'm awesome. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's true. It's just like I can't have people thinking that I think this is what this is about. So part of me, I'm trying to mitigate that now by being like, y'all, I'm like, seriously, I can see that I'm not doing that. Um, but I, honestly, this was a way bigger holdup for me. I was like, I just, we're not doing this anywhere near a building campaign. And by the way, we'll do, we'll do I think, a building campaign probably in September. Hopefully we close August 31st. That's the schedule. In September, we'll start, we'll, we'll shift gears, and that'll be great. Um, but I want to be very clear, this ain't about that. At all, and what we 're going to see um so don 't forget this well, this is next week, but the temple that they 're going to build is much smaller and nowhere near as nice as the first one, okay, and I, for one, have never seen a building campaign where it's like hey let 's raise money so we can have a smaller, crappier building to meet in okay so that all by itself is sort of manipulative, and then also um. Uh, he says explicitly in chapter 2, the Lord speaks with, I think, some real confidence in his voice, and he goes, hey, the gold, the silver, it's all mine. He's like, I'm not hurting for cash. It ain't about money. That's not what I'm looking for. So he's very, very clear about that. But here's what he says. This next place is going to be nowhere near as grand as the last one, but here's the thing. It will be better. Way better. By far. And we're going to find out why it will be better. We'll get there in a couple of weeks. But One of the main themes of the book of Haggai is not write a check for a building fund. One of the main themes is it ain't about the building. The building's not the point, okay? What he's really after is the commitment of people's hearts. He's after the devotion of his people to him. That's what it's about, okay? And I want to be very clear, by the way, when we get into our building campaign, it's not about the building, it's not about the building. It's about our devotion to the Lord. And I want, to be, I want to be very explicit about that. He's not trying to get their money. He's after their hearts. He wants them to seek first the kingdom of God and then trust that the other stuff comes after. He wants them to actually obey the first commandment, which is I'm the Lord and I come first. Okay? And by the way, if you guys want a real sneak peek of where we're going with the capital campaign when we do that, um, and like I said, I think September we'll do it for a bit, uh, I've, I've worked really hard on this. I've decided what it's going to be all about. It's going to be about you and me searching our hearts and obeying the Lord. That's it. It's pretty good, right? Um, that's the big plan. That's the big plan. If you pray and obey, then everything will be great. And if not, it won't be. And that's kind of, I mean, we'll, I'll say more words. But that's, that's, the, that's the heart of it. So let's keep that in mind. Now, verse 5. Here we go. Now the Lord of armies says this. Think carefully about your ways. That's really solid advice. We have a tendency to sort of like on cruise control, coast through life, and maybe not seriously evaluate what's going on. He's like, hey, guys, just, you came you, as the remnant. You started doing some stuff. Let's hit pause for a minute. How's that going? Think about your ways. Think carefully about your ways. People say we learn from our experience. That's not true. We learn from evaluated experience. Okay? So he goes, let's learn from this, evaluate it, think carefully about your ways. Verse 6, you've planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough to be satisfied. You drink but never have enough to be happy. You put on clothes but never have enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. Doesn't that sound right? Um, I think this is a prophecy of inflation, 2022. We're all putting our money (laughs) into bags with holes in it. like, where did it go? He goes, hey. Um, evaluate. Stop and think for a minute. You came. How's it, how's it going? It's like, yeah, not great. <laughs> and this is the principle that we talked about last week. That um, when people go the way of the Lord, things tend to go well. And when they don't go the way of the Lord, then they don't tend to go well. And they're going, things aren't going well. And he goes, yeah, isn't it interesting? You've got enough, but it's not enough. Isn't that interesting? Enough's not enough. Think carefully about that. When you have enough, but it's never enough. And then he repeats the idea, word for word, just the exact same as verse 5. We have verse 7. The Lord of armies says this, think carefully about your ways. Think about it. And he says this, go up into the hills, bring down lumber, build the house, referring to the temple, and I will be pleased with it and will be glorified, says the Lord. He goes, all right, look, your priorities are this way, I'm telling you, shift them. But first things first, rearrange Your life so that the main thing is actually the main thing. And that's step one. And I would submit to you that if we are going to, as a church, follow God's lead, and hopefully, I really think we are, play a meaningful role in a new uprising, then that's step one for us too. Think about our ways and make sure that the main thing is actually the main thing. All right. Let's read a chunk of the text. We'll go through the end of the chapter here, but it's just six six verses. You expected much, but then it amounted to little. When you brought the harvest to your house, I ruined it. Why? This is the declaration of the Lord of armies, because my house still lies in ruins while each of you is busy with his own house. So on your account, the skies have withheld the dew and the land its crops. I have summoned a drought on the fields and the hills on the grain, new wine, fresh oil, and whatever the ground yields on people and animals and on all your hands produce. He's saying, you guys are moving forward without my blessing, and that's a rough way to go. Okay, so here's the response, verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, the high priest of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and the entire remnant of the people obeyed the Lord their God and the words of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him. So the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, delivered the Lord's message to the people. I am with you. This is the Lord's declaration. The Lord roused the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, the spirit of the high priest Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. They began work on the house of the Lord of Ar- Lord of armies, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. So they got the message. They made the main thing The main thing. And so, big deal here, God was with them. But again, what was required of them for that was a fundamental shift in their thinking. They needed new lenses through which to understand the world and their lives. So now, coming back to the the here and the now, okay, in our context, I think we're dealing with the same type of mentality even among the remnant of people who would say, God is very important. God is a very important piece of the puzzle. And we, not, we need to get our lives together, you know? So we need to get the career piece in place, and the education piece in place. We need to get the relational and social piece in place. Our family pieces need to be in place, the financial piece in place, we need, we need all these things all the pieces and also we do need to get the God piece in place as well because it is very important and to that the Lord would I think all but scream, "Force for the trees guys, you're missing the point I think the Lord would say guys I, I'm not a piece of the puzzle I am the puzzle I am the whole thing the whole thing is about me Every aspect of your life, first and foremost, is about me. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the sun and the moon and the stars. It's all about me. And if we were to arrange our lives accordingly, we realize he's not a piece of the puzzle. He is the puzzle. I am your life, the Lord would say. And if not, we might be missing the point. read you a couple or a few verses here from the Apostle Paul. First from Colossians chapter 3 very helpful. He says, set your mind on things above. So it's maybe good to say, okay, to what extent is my mind set on things above and, as he says, not on earthly things? You can spend some time reflecting on that. To what degree is, is this actually true in my life? My actually mind is set on things above as opposed to earthly things. He says, because you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He's, he's talking about baptism here. It's like, You have died to your old way, and you have reemerged an entirely new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, right? So to what extent is that true in our lives, that the old is gone, the new has come? Well, here's what he says. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This is what it looks like when we've been truly washed in the blood when we have been truly died to our old self and emerge as a new creation reconciled before him what does that mean it means christ is your life not an accessory not on the fringe not a piece of the puzzle but the whole thing that's the mental shift we have to make he said this to timothy chapter second timothy chapter three but know this hard times will come in the last days let me pause here for just a second because that can be an interesting phrase the last days I'll be very clear, we are living in the last days. And I'm sure of that. How am I sure of that? Because the Bible says explicitly that the last days started with Jesus. We've been in the last days since Christ. So I have no idea how last these last days are. I just know that they're laster than the ones before them. That's that's my prophetic insight, everyone. That's all I have to give. Let me be clear about that. So they were in the last days. We're in the last days. Okay. And but he starts to describe what happens in the last days, and I, I read it. I was like, I think we have this stuff, right? Here's what he says: For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents on Father's Day, no less, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of, pre- of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And I, I look at that list and I don't know how last these last days are, but we've got all those things. Those things are around. And then and this is what we're going to want to highlight. He goes, people with those things in their lives are still yet holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people. It's, here, see, there's something really slippery about that where you have all the trappings of a Christian society, we've got Christian stuff happening around us, and we're involved in Christian things. And these things, this gnarly list I just read, could increasingly be encroaching upon our lives, but we're still holding on to a form of godliness, and therefore not realize that, in fact, the priorities have just shifted way out of whack. Okay? Let's ask ourselves, have I clung to a form of godliness I'm denying the power. Well, what is the power? The power is of transformation, of an entirely new you, of repentance, where we turn away from one way of living and then go the way of Jesus in every aspect of our lives. Form of godliness denying its power and says, yeah, it's a warning about this. So um, uh, right smack in the middle of the pandemic when we were, like, desperate to do things. It got it got a little boring at home, and uh, we wanted to, like, go and do stuff, but you couldn't social distance. Um, we went out, and we bought some kayaks. I was like, I can social distance on a lake and get some sunshine, and we'll do something with the old kids, and that'll be good. So we went and got some, some kayaks, and at the beginning, we used them a lot, and then um, not so much now. Um, they are They are the treadmills of watercraft kayaks. I've decided that, so... If you need to borrow them, they're probably available. We don't use them that much, but uh, occasionally we do. Um, so anyway, we got these kayaks. We go out in the kayaks to take the kids. And we learn pretty quick. I learned pretty quick. We say, hey, we want to go over here, over there. And then I would really push the conversation to make sure we went in one particular direction at the beginning every time. We had to go, we had to start the trip going into the current because... By the time we go back, we go back because we're tired. And then if you have to go back and then go against the current, the kids are going to be awful. Like, I will love them a little bit less by the time we get home. You know what I mean? And I love them so much. I've got love to spare. It's fine. It's Father's Day. I can say whatever I want. But on the way, it's like, because they're just, oh, we're exhausted, you know. And So I learned really quick. We have to go against the current on the way out, and that way when we come back, if we're tired, we can just rest and we won't go way off track. We can pull our paddle out of the water and and we'll still continue in the course that we need to go and we'll be working with the current. It'll be much, much easier. So hold on to that concept. Here's the thing. We as a church, um, as the people of God, and as Vineyard Church here, um, we need a major shift of paradigm shift gears from Christendom mode and from that to apostolic mode, which means a willingness to go against the current in some circumstances, and increasingly more and more circumstances. Christendom mode, when the church is in that mode it, that, that's what you do when Christianity is at its peak and and Christendom is thriving and everything's moving forward and when that's the case, like you can like go with the flow you know you can you can pull your paddle out of the water you know and cultural forces are on your side, then the wind is at your back and it's it's really nice you know like it, it's really nice you can coast um and you won't drift um Apostolic mode is very different than that. Apostolic mode is what they did in the early church when the church was led by the apostles. That's why it's called apostolic mode. The first 300 years of church history is called the apostolic age. If you study the early church and just read the book of Acts, what's really obvious is that there were winds, stiff winds, in their face, not at their backs. And they were pushing hard upstream against the current. And if at any point they pulled their paddles out of the water, what's clear is they would be going in entirely the wrong direction immediately. It was, it was hard. They were minorities. They were persecuted. They were teaching concepts that sounded completely foreign to the ears of most people as they shared them. Like, what are these people even talking about? In, in apostolic mode, you just can't rely on cultural forces. You have to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. You have to seek Him. Be led by Him. Be empowered by Him. To be, You need His direction every single day. It's much, much harder. As I said the first 300 years of church history, that's the apostolic age. And then at that point, Christianity became the dominant religion and the official religion in the Roman Empire. And when that happened, all the cultural winds shifted, and that launched the age of Christendom. Okay? Well, now, folks, Christendom has collapsed. It has. And it's time to shift gears back into a new apostolic age. And this is, I hope you don't run past this. This is a bigger deal than I can possibly articulate to you right now. This is a big deal. This is not a change for the ages. This is a change of the ages. This is a big shift. A new apostolic age must emerge. And here's the reality. As Christendom has faltered in the United States, by and large, Christian folks haven't made that shift by and large, they, they haven't. Christians have largely, many beautiful exceptions, of course, but have largely continued to go with the flow, which is increasingly a post Christian flow. Our paddles are out of the water, and we end up in some pretty wonky places. Um, as we discussed last week, and this is really important, when we have gone against the grain, I'm painting with broad brushes here, to be fair. But when the church has in a big way gone against the grain, tried to respond and take America back for God, it has been misdirected. And it has been a vain attempt to try to prop up Christendom, to maintain societal power and influence. Instead of chasing the main thing, just to know and follow Jesus, to surrender our lives to him and obey him no matter what. We're trying to prop up Christendom. Guys, Christendom is dead. It's time to shift gears. It's time to move into apostolic mode. All right, I need your help. You guys with me? Does that make sense? Okay, thank you. So I want to be honest about that. That's hard. It's just hard. It's hard. You guys have experienced this. You're faithful people, man. It's hard when more and more people see the world differently than you do. And when that happens... We get defensive, you know. It's hard when increasingly your views are not only views that more and more people disagree with, but that more and more people actually will say are evil. And that's hard. That's hard when you've had the wind at your back, and now it's shifting, and those forces are now pushing against you. Like that's a that's a different kind. That's a different way to be human in a different society. It's hard. I want to be clear. The choice is now pressed upon us, like we're we're here now. And think about when the Persians spoke to the the Israelites who were in Babylon, they said, okay, you have a choice now. Before you didn't have a choice, now you do. You can go back to Jerusalem if you want, okay? Their choice was now pressed upon them. They were at a fork in the road. and I think that's true of us now. It's time for us to choose. Um, And not choosing is a choice. And so I want to go back to what the Lord said twice. You know, it's a big deal when he repeats himself. I do it because I'm not paying attention. Um, That's not his deal. Verses 5 and 7, he says, Think carefully about your ways. All right? Let's think about where we're at. Let's do this uh, for a minute. Let me throw an idea at you. Um, You may not love. Guys? America is not the promised land. Just let it settle in. Guys, look at me. I love you. I love you. America is not the promised land. It's not the new Jerusalem. It was never going to be the new Jerusalem. That was never the plan. It was never God's plan. The Bible Belt isn't the new Jerusalem either. Guys, we're here now. Let's, let's face it. Let's be the people who go into life with our eyes open instead of willful blindness, head in the sand, okay? Eyes open. America, this country that if you have any reasonableness about yourself at all, you're profoundly grateful for to live in this remarkable Just, we're so blessed. Guys, I can't, I try to get my head around that. I can't get my head around it. We are so blessed to live in this place. Thank the Lord God we live in this place. But let's also have our eyes open. America is closer to Babylon than it is to the new Jerusalem. And I love this country. I'm so grateful. We're so blessed by God. I mean that down to my toes. It's not Jerusalem. It never was. And we... We can either choose willful blindness or we can acknowledge that this country we love and are grateful for is closer to Babylon than it is the New Jerusalem. So, listen, we have the choice. Before we pack up and leave Babylon, which is what I'm suggesting, it's where I as a pastor would like to lead us. And by that I mean before we sign on to shift gears and start living in apostolic mode, which is very different, Before we do that, we need to count the cost, okay? Um, Before I say this, let me say, I've really searched my heart on this. I have no, like, I really, I don't have any ill will or contempt when I say these things. I'm just trying to be as clear as I possibly can, okay? So here's, seriously, if you want to stay in Babylon, if you want to just kind of go with the flow and take your paddle out of the water and drift along with the broader culture, I I don't think you're going to have any trouble finding a church that's fine with that. I'm not saying that out of anger or contempt or angst. I'm really not. I'm just, the choices before us, like, that's not going to be hard. Or, if you want to get all angsty and militant and take up arms in the fight to save Christendom and live the rest of your Christian life and attempt to cling to societal power and influence... Once again, you're not going to have a hard time at all finding a church that is going exactly that route at all. In fact, that's called Christian nationalism. We'll talk about it more moving forward. East Tennessee is pretty much the hotbed, like we're at the center of that movement. You can find that. You can find that. But I want to be very, very clear. Vineyard Church will not be taking either of those paths. We will not We are not going to coast and capitulate and go with the flow. And we are also not going to give our lives trying to prop up societal institutions that are crumbling because we want power. We're not going to do that either. I think those are the two obvious ways that we can choose to coast and in some ways, maybe cling to something of a majority and in some sense not have to go the hard route and and I, I, I think they're much easier paths than where I'm convinced God is leading us to go, which is to be a remnant, which is to be an exception to both of those realities and shift a new apostolic mode and choose to love and sacrifice and rebuild for the glory of God and the well-being of people. Again, verse 5, verse 7, think carefully about your ways. Jesus said it like this. This is Luke chapter 9. Um, Then he said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? Be very clear. Here's what I'm saying about this. Here's the takeaway. We are just absolutely all in for the way of Jesus. All right? All right? including the hard stuff. <laughs> and if you, if you want him on the fringes and you want him essentially out of your way, um, if you want a form of godliness while denying its power, then, hey, you're always welcome here, but let me just tell you in love, like I'm going to push on you pretty hard. I don't think that's where we're going. I don't think that's where we should be going. And if you hear that and go, well, are we just going to become like legalistic and heavy-handed? And is that what it means to go the way of Jesus, to be really legalistic? Then like, if that's where your mind went, I cannot wait to tell you about Jesus. <laughs> because <laughs> he hated the heavy-handed legalism of the Pharisees. And man, did he tear them up. Who He could not abide. He would not abide. <laughs> they were about rules heavy handedness and putting weights on people and they were not about love and he would have nothing of it so when I say we're all in for the way of Jesus I do not mean legalism I mean full surrender to the way of love way of love I'm just trying to be clear trying to be clear the Bible makes it inescapable the way of love looks like kindness it looks like welcome it looks like courage it looks like self-sacrifice It looks like doing hard things. It looks like loving your neighbor. It looks like blessing your enemies. And I'll be very clear. It is not the path of least resistance. It's just not. But let me also be clear about this. It is absolutely hard to go against the grain of society. No denial. But I would submit to you it is harder still, much harder still, to go against the grain of the Most High. To swim against the current of what God is doing. That's harder. <laughs> Nothing good comes from going the easy route, by the way, guys. Um, we want to do what the apostles did. We want to go against the grain. We want, to bring, we want to bring the love of God to people the way that they did. And it's very clear. You read the book of Acts. It's profoundly clear. It was very hard work. And they were persecuted and they were ostracized and they were ridiculed and in many cases they gave up literally everything even their own lives. But (laughs) uh, it's also true that their lives were filled with purpose. Their lives were fruitful. Their lives were empowered. Their lives were meaningful and they lived their lives overcome with joy even in the midst of troubling circumstances. Um. It's true that they saw the hand of God at work through them. They saw the Holy Spirit do amazing things. They helped lots of people find life and freedom in Jesus. It was hard to go against the current of their prevailing culture. But don't miss the larger society, the larger, pardon me, the larger reality. which is While they were going against the grain of society, which is hard, they were riding an, a wave of the Holy Spirit. And they were carried along by him. And that's better even if it's a bumpy ride, that's the ride I want to take. Amen. I'm hoping you do too. Alright. Uh, Emily, you can come up. I think Emily's going to help me wrap these things up. I want to tell you a real quick story. Don't worry, it's quick. Um, we were in a staff uh, meeting a couple of weeks ago and we were all praying together. And uh, Aaron Wright, our, our communications director, you've seen her up here at leading worship from the keys and stuff. And so... Um, I think she's a springbird today, but um, anyway, you'll recognize her. I don't know if her understanding of what she said was that she was prophesying, so I don't want to like, but I, it is, I believe that she was prophesying in the moment. And she said it, she said, I really think, and I'll, I'll misquote her, but this is a just a bit. I really think um, that there is exhaustion, just profound exhaustion in lots of people's lives. And they attribute that exhaustion to just stuff of life, the busyness, you know, the list. You know, we can all make a really long list of things that might make us exhausted, very long. And she goes, I think that more profoundly that exhaustion is because people are swimming against the current of the Holy Spirit. And because they haven't really surrendered fully to the Lord, they are frantically." frantically paddling against the current of God Himself, and they're exhausted. What that means is if we will surrender fully to the Lord, let the current of the Holy Spirit, mighty wind of the Holy Spirit, take us where He is going, it is very likely that that will increasingly move move us against the grain of the larger society. But we will be not exhausted, but invigorated and empowered because we are being carried along by the Holy Spirit. Okay. Let's do Selah a moment or two to pray and reflect on our own. Kind of lead us in that prayer. Holy Spirit, come. Speak to us, Lord. Help us to do what you told us to do twice. Help us to think carefully about our ways. Help us to do now, Lord, what the remnant who returned to Jerusalem had to do. They had to stop and go, okay, we're doing a bunch of stuff. Let's, let's stop. Let's think carefully about our ways. Do we have the main thing, the main thing? Or have we kind of gotten caught into a current that takes us somewhere else? Guys, I'm 41. I don't think I have ever once in my life said, God, I deny you. But I've denied him a million ways. I never just chose I'm going to go another way. I just got caught in the current and ended up choosing a path that wasn't what he had marked out for me. I frankly can't imagine really anybody in our church just saying, no, I deny, I go away, I choose to go away, and yet it's so easy for us to drift. It's just, say we're exhausted and pull our paddles out of the water, end up so far afield.